This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. Uh, I do own Bitcoin. There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, proudly brought to you by the Bamboo app. Crypto Curious is your go-to source for all things cryptocurrency. Whether you're a seasoned pro or new to the world of crypto, we've got you covered. Each week, we'll break down the top news stories of the past seven days, giving you the information you need to stay on top of the latest trends and developments. Plus, we'll share quick bites of news and insights that you won't want to miss. If you're new to crypto, we recommend starting with our early episodes where we break down the basics and give you a solid foundation to understand the crypto world. Join us as we explore the ever-evolving world of cryptocurrency and educate ourselves along the way. My name is Tracy, and this week, Blake and I are super excited to be joined by Igor Sedelska from Magnet Capital, who will be co-hosting today's podcast, giving us some insights into where we currently sit in the crypto and blockchain landscape before rounding out with our biggest news stories of the past seven days. Let's get into it. Let's meet Igor, a computer wizard with a knack for turning digital coins into some real treasures. Igor started mining Bitcoin back in 2013, when most of us were probably still trying to figure out what crypto even meant. And he's not just a bit of a tech geek, though with a degree in computer science, specialising in distributed systems and cyber security. So he's a bit of a real deal, folks. And there's also a bit more. Igor isn't just about mining. He's a real trailblazer in the crypto investment world. In 2017, he founded Magnet Capital, which is also Australia's first ever licensed crypto hedge fund. Since then, Magnet Capital has been soaring to great heights with four funds servicing over 150 family offices, which is a huge feat. So let's kick things off. Thanks for joining us, Igor, and hello, Blake. Hey, guys. <laughs> that was a huge intro, but I wanted to make sure we covered off your stellar background there. But thanks for thanks for coming. You want to give us a bit more of a uh, background into how you kind of stumbled into crypto? No, I, I really appreciate that. I'm a computer scientist by background. I, uh, like many in the space, tried to avoid crypto for a really long period of time, thinking that uh, I have no idea what these internet magic coins do. Uh, you know, it's not for me. I always, I always thought that I'd take the traditional career path and uh, and go into finance or 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 become a developer in a in a big software business. And in 2012, 2013, uh, we started to experiment. My friend and I, um, who I went to university with, he actually, uh, he's the one who got me in, involved in the space. And I've got some really funny anecdotes from from back then. I mean, we were we were kids back then, uh, just trialing anything that we could get our hands on. Uh, we 
we basically built rigs from scratch. This was when you could still mine using non-ASICs, uh, graphics cards, using computers. And you started stringing them together. Then you built a rig and you put nine of them together. And then you bought some on eBay and started mining more. Um, we, you know, at some stage, uh, it became incredibly unprofitable very, very quickly because of the competition that came into the space. Uh, we got... Uh, a a thirteen thousand pound electricity oh. bill because we were obviously mining on, on uh, on retail energy for the month. So you can imagine it was just chaos back then. Like no one really knew what they were doing. You think that you mine all of these bitcoins and you're like, oh great, this is kind of like free money. And then you get <laughs> then you get the bill for the electricity and you realize like what what are we actually doing here because we, we've lost money. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, a good good couple of anecdotes from there. We also turned the power off to the uh, to the street at one stage. So just like just real experimenting. So that didn't turn you off, obviously. No, well, well, at that period of time, it was the it was my first bull market, and I bought my first Bitcoin at eighty pounds, and it went to nine hundred US. So uh, I thought I was a genius. You know, I, I thought <laughs> that this is this investing stuff's easy. Uh, anyone can do it. You just buy and it goes up. So, so we we spent a really long time, you know, trying to to realize what the hell it is that that we bought and that we're mining and. Obviously, as the market came down, like, uh, like like it did, you really have to understand what the what the asset is, how it works, what the future might potentially look like, what it's even building towards, and what it's striving towards, and uh, and that's really where we started. So, over the course of the next four years or so, um, I really started deeply understanding what it is that Bitcoin was, how it worked. Uh, you know, how how smart contracts like smart contracts operating platforms like Ethereum were up and coming, like how did they work and why were they different to Bitcoin and why did you need two? So you went through that entire learning period and then, and then in 2016, that's when I met uh, Benjamin Selemeyer, my, my co-founder in, in Magnet and uh, he was working at, at Deloitte at the time. He started the blockchain practice at Deloitte mm. and we used to go to businesses. This is again, we're looking seven years ago, we used to go to businesses in 2016 uh, and tell them about what Bitcoin was and how the blockchain worked. And as you can imagine, back then, we got laughed out of a, a lot of boardrooms, uh, single digit billions asset class. I mean, it really was, it really was nascent back then. Um, but the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of what we heard was, it's not right for us, but you guys sound like you know what you're doing. Here's some money go and invest it for us. And that's that's really how we started. And here we are in 2023, a few cycles down the road, everyone getting excited again as we hit 41K USD today. And look, that's why we wanted that's why we wanted you on because we thought you'd be perfect to kind of round out the year as we near the end of the year. So let's get into it and kick off a bit of a a recap for the year, Igor, because 2022 was a tough year for crypto. Uh, but what key events marked 2023 as a year of recovery? And I guess looking forward, what does 2024 hold for us in this crypto landscape as a broad question to start off with. So 2022 is almost undoubtedly the worst year on record for for digital assets. Uh, you had Lunaterra 3AC, Celsius Voyager and culminating all in FTX at the at the end of the year in November, um, all basically cascading centralized custodian failures. And then the the beginning of this year was really was really the beginning of the recovery period. Um, this has happened in in every single previous cycle where the market bottoms out, the, the sellers are exhausted and you start to see small 
small price appreciation that we typically call a step function because what happens is the market's flat for a period of time and then suddenly it goes up by a thousand or two thousand dollars and then it's flat for a period of time so it, it kind of looks like stairs and back then it was still it was still pretty difficult to make an investment in the space because there was a lot of unknowns there was unknowns about the macro condition there was unknowns uh, about inflation and where interest rates were going so the beginning of that year was really around the banking instability and if you think back to to how bitcoin started it really it really was born in the uh, in the gfc where where banks were starting to fail and and there was a new way that was that was created a new a new a uh, finite store of value asset that, that could combat that. And we really did see that. So in, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, that was, uh, that was the first step. So the bank failed and everybody expected the market like equities to, to crater, but uh, Bitcoin recovered and Bitcoin did quite well and it went up. So people were like, oh, that's really interesting. That, that seems like it's playing out its philosophy. That was really the beginning. The banking failures, Silvergate, um, SVB, uh, that started off the the, the recovery period, uh, and then and then of course we were still we were still up and down from from that period because you you just didn't know. And and what's your view on those banking failures, Igor? You know, a lot of people point to Operation Chokehold 2.0. We see a lot of hostility from regulators, from um, politicians, um, and from you know, the big banks in the US uh, and the big fintechs against crypto. Um, do you think this plays into that whole process that happened in the US? There's no question that there was a concentrated operation to try and not only debank, but shut down some of the some of the digital asset operations, exchange operations, crypto operations, some rightly, mm. you know, so there were a lot of scams, there's was, there was a lot of bad actors in the space. So some rightly, and then some wrongly, like debanking the whole of crypto is only negative to the consumer because they can't, they can't get money out of the system. It makes it incredibly challenging for them. So yes, the operation chokehold is, is, is very much real and, uh, and there was a concentrated effort. But it obviously didn't. It didn't work. If you look at what's happened since then, you have this these two groups in in government forming, and especially in the U.S., where it's quite polarizing. You either get, you know, one side that adamantly votes for it, and then the other side that fights them, no matter what the what the argument is. Um, and that's what you started to see. Uh, certainly in the beginning, the U.S. was was doing a really good job and pushing crypto out of its shores, but the rest of the world started to take that up. So you started to have jurisdictions like Europe, the UK, the Emirates, Southeast Asia by Singapore and Hong Kong really pick that up and start making proactive regulation in the space. Mm, yeah, for sure. Now, I think and I, I definitely have a sense that that operation is still going in somewhat. Um, there's large commercial banks in the US that support the industry or used to support the industry from a payment processing point of view that no longer do. Um, and of course, um, you know, we see, you know, Kraken, um, Binance and Coinbase still being sued. So, uh, yeah, I think there's more to come in that story, but um, I think it's important to reflect on it and watch what actually happens over time. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I don't blame them because they look at something that they don't truly understand and they think that it's net negative because of the headlines that they saw in 2022. And and of course, they have a negative reaction to it because they don't take time to understand what truly happened. If you look back then, it was actually the centralized institutions, the centralized custodians that failed. 
no DeFi application failed. Besides the, the Luna and Terra collapse, there was no actual platform that went under. And Luna and Terra only collapsed because of because of a fault in the actual design of the system. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really great stress test to watch, you know, Compound, Aave and Curve and the others really stand up in those times of, you know, intense pressure. Uh, And, you know, it was kind of scary watching it, trying to figure out whether or not they were going to fail. But, you know, fortunately um, they didn't because it would have been much worse if if they did. No, that's right. That's right. And um, anecdotally, the the, the first uh, the first creditor to be paid back in Three Arrows Capital was Ave, because if they didn't pay that back, they would get liquidated. Oh. Right. Interesting. Mm. No one could. Isn't stop that and and it's it's because it's transparent. It's yes. open. You can see it yeah, right yeah. there in front of you. You absolutely have to pay that back. Otherwise, they liquidate you on market. So it was really interesting to see that. Kind of paradoxical. Yeah, mm. no, that's that's fascinating to hear. Mm. So I was going to say the market has started to recover and the industry's had to grow up because of that. And this year, we've really seen that that market recovery. Yeah. So really, we we've we've entered into a grown ups market. Um, we we love to kind of boil down the years uh, into into single terms at Magnet just to make it easy for you know ourselves and everyone we talk to to understand and. 2022 was a, a real sobering up, a real hangover of the market and a real reality check. Uh, 23 is the year of recovery. This is where you see institutions building real world products that their customers and their clients can use. This is where you see positive Bitcoin sentiment where you look back and you think that was a pretty bad year, but Bitcoin still didn't die. And that was a pretty bad year. But Ethereum is still running and it's still processing blocks and it's still deflationary. That's really interesting. This market actually works. And then, of course, you had the huge monumental, probably the biggest thing that's happened um, in our market ever is BlackRock announcing that they are doing a spot Mm -hmm. Bitcoin ETF. And funnily enough, that came after Operation Chokepoint, the SEC decided to sue Coinbase and Binance, which obviously dragged the market down. And then four days later, BlackRock announced their ETF application. Completely changed the momentum. Yeah. You know, totally. and I think it's a distribution play, obviously, for these financial institutions. They want to take their share of the market and t- take fees on that. Uh, and I think there's definitely going to be levers that the financial institutions can take to, you know, push incumbents out. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... If you, if you think about the SEC, uh, they have watched all of these native crypto businesses come up from nothing to be worth tens, sometimes hundreds of billions of dollars at one stage. And in, in, in that circumstance, there's no grown-ups in the room. There's no one that has been regulatory compliant for a long period of time. There's no one that lobbies government. Uh, so what did they do? They basically tapped their friends on the shoulder and said, hey, guys, if, if this thing... If this thing's going to go, then we want you to be the ones to do it. And that's where BlackRock and Fidelity and Wisdom Tree and Van Eck all filed basically the same application immediately after. Mm. Okay, so you've mentioned 2023 being a year of recovery and 2024 predicted as a year of growth. What do you think 2025 will look like after the crypto market You know, with new narratives and investor types that we can expect? Yeah, so, so 2024 will be the year of growth. Um, it'll be where the easy money is made, new all-time highs. That, that That's kind of what we're seeing. 25 is where you start to 
we start to really unpick the winners because uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And in, in market euphoria, if we think about cycles, there are really four stages to every cycle. 2025 is the last stage in the cycle. It's really where, it's really where you have these crazy valuations, these crazy rounds, businesses doing 50, 100, 150x. Uh, certainly in the previous cycles, we've seen that. And that, that's really where you have to be very, very careful. I mean, everyone's praying for that, right? Everyone's praying <laughs> for that. But and with, with all of those gains, unfortunately comes, you know, like big scams, scandals. They're hard to maintain. You know, you know, you might see those valuations for six months and then then no one can raise again, you know, the, the, That's right. the capital markets pull back um, and then, you know, we're in another consolidation phase. Yeah. yeah. The problem with that market is all rationality goes out of the window and suddenly it's, it turns from really great investment strategies and principles and people investing under what they think is going to be the future into just pure speculation and things running up and that's where people get trapped. Mm. Now, you just mentioned then and touched on the unique cycles of the crypto industry. Do you want to break those down for us or give the abridged version? How, um, how do they work and how does understanding human behavior play into predicting these type of cycles? Great question. So cycles in, uh, in our market are what we call the periods between the four-year halving cycles. So every 210,000 blocks, uh, Bitcoin go- goes through a halving where it halves the reward for mining. Those cycles have played out into four key stages, uh, really, ever since inception. And that's that's starting from kind of 2011 uh, all the way through to 2013, 2014 to 2017, and so on. And those 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 four stages, uh, I've got a really good chart on this. And basically, the beginning stage is really around the accumulation. It's when people are starting to recognize that this market is not dead and it's not gone away. And there might be some value here. These are the early investors, the early adopters. The second year is really around the preparation. So the second stage is when you start to get uh, you start to get a new narrative forming. Whether it's uh, you know in this case it's the institutions are coming. In the previous case it was uh, ICOs that started actually delivering real value like new layer ones like Solana and Avalanche and those guys and then the third year is the euphoria year so that's the 2025 that we were talking about that's the that's the forming of like consistent new all-time highs and then of course year four is the is the bear market the recovery the hangover so we've kind of gone through the last of that in the end of last year we have really just started the accumulation phase in this year and we're going to go through that that preparation and new all-time high in 2014. Mm. Uh, sorry, 2024. 2024. I think we'll try yeah. and get a copy of that um that that image that you, yeah that chart and pop it in. Yeah, the, um, absolutely. Chuck it in the show notes. Chuck it in the show notes for everyone to have a little look at. But yeah, probably just one thing that's worth highlighting is the fact that I think that we're going to see slower, potentially slower market cycles as the asset class gets bigger. Um, you know, as we move towards you know, not just $2 trillion, maybe 5 or $10 trillion as an, as an asset class, there's going to be less volatility. We're going to see less returns on a, on a percentage-like frame. And, you know, that's, um, that's something that we're looking out for because, you know, it might not be two years, two years of down and two years of up like we've seen previously. It might be not as volatile. Yeah, yeah. And that was very much the rhetoric last cycle where 
Um, I don't know if you ever heard the term the, the Everlast cycle. It just means the market will come down, but not as much as you think. And then it will just continue to trend trend up and then go through these go through these smaller more condensed uh, 20 to 30 percent pullbacks but uh, over a longer period of time trend up and to the right and you're absolutely right when the quantum matters so when when you're going from a bitcoin price of a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars uh, it doesn't really matter that much but if you go from seventy thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars that is a thirty thousand dollar gain that's huge so suddenly the quantum matters and the volatility is decreased and we've seen that with every single cycle the beginning the first one the the 13 14 cycles really for the developers the the, the hobbyists these guys created a market from scratch basically um, and that's when you saw this kind of rapid rapid price appreciation 1718 was for the early insiders these were the the builders it wasn't just bitcoin at that time it was everything else like how do we how do we invest in ethereum or there's dogecoin that's quite interesting what's that uh 21 and 22 was really for retail that was when money was free and you had big wall street guys saying the cash is trash yeah uh, stimmy you know. checks <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's free money, you know, free money. And where, where do you put it? You put it in in the place where it can give you the biggest upside. Uh, and for our market, you know, it's it's the altcoins. So that that's when they that's when they went absolutely bananas. And twenty four, twenty five, we think that it will be the institutional wave. This is when professional investors, when professional wealth advisories get involved and start allocating real capital like tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars and in BlackRock's case possibly billions and billions uh, into sustainable good projects that they've done due diligence on so cycles are cycles are really important as you mentioned Tracy that it's really around human behavior mm. um, instead of technical analysis mm. it's a uh, how do we think about the market moving forward and how do people start thinking about investment moving forward in the institution's case, it will be around core fundamentals. They'll go back to what they know. They'll go back to price to earnings. They'll go back to profitability. They'll go back to uh, real teams building real products rather than rather than memes, although memes will definitely still exist. <laughs> oh, yeah. They'll always be around forever. I think we'll take a break there. And when we come back, it's time for one more question for Igor before we head into our news bites for this week. Welcome back. You're listening to the Crypto Curious podcast with Tracy, Blake and Igor today from Magnet Capital. One more question for you. As we look forward, what are the key drivers you see for growth in the crypto market, especially with the ETF approval and regulatory changes that are happening? And how does Magnet Capital position itself with this evolving scenario? Yeah, huge question. So I, I think that there's a really great narrative forming around productive assets. Um, there's always new narratives in our market uh, throughout cycles, even throughout bear markets, really. New narratives are probably formed once every six months or so. Uh, everything from ICOs to stable coins to NFTs to layer ones to layer twos. They, all, of these, all, all of these new and developing narratives basically create new market opportunities. And that's why, that's why our market is so exciting and developing and, and, and exciting to actually work in. And the new one that we're seeing is what we call productive assets and enterprise businesses. These are businesses that have real utility that deliver real utility, that have 
users that pay fees, so real customers that generate revenue, and then those revenues are distributed either via token burnback or via actual cash distribution. So tokens like GNS, tokens like synthetics, uh, those ones are really built to, to be sustainable. They're built as traditional businesses that just happen to be tokenized. They're a fantastic new narrative, and they've they've really come up over the last over the last three months. They've they've had rapid price appreciation um, because I think number one, the traditional crypto buyers changing and they're being more sophisticated in where they they spend their money and they spend their capital, and two because there 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 is actual real businesses in this market. It's not all just mm. speculation. Mm. It's not all just either Bitcoin or, or Ethereum as, as layer ones. And the, the promise is not that we're, we're hoping that someone makes some value out of this. It's actual real businesses. In GNS's case, it's a decentralized exchange that allows you to use leverage in a decentralized way. And if you want to participate, then you can own some of the GNS tokens. And for that, you get, uh, you get a reward and you, you get a portion of the uh, of the fees that are collected. That's a great answer. So, look, thank you for dishing out some serious crypto wisdom with us then, Igor. That was awesome. But stick with us, and I think now we'll jump into some latest crypto news for the last week and round that out. Blake, do you want to go first with some Grayscale news this week? First up, Grayscale is updating uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, making the first modification since 2018. Uh, people speculate this is in preparation for the Spot Bitcoin ETF and the changes include daily mm. fee payment structure. Um, so fees can be paid on a daily basis uh, and changes to way that the share creation and redemption works. Um, so it's pretty exciting stuff. We know that the SEC met with Grayscale a couple of weeks ago, um, potentially about this um, exact thing. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, these are the last items that, they, um, that they're doing to prepare for the, the listing. Any day now. Eagle, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's up next? We all know we all know Michael Saylor. He he became very famously the the person that first put Bitcoin on a publicly listed uh, P and L. So yeah. Um, oh, sorry, in a publicly listed balance sheet. And uh, they recently announced that they purchased an additional sixteen thousand one hundred thirty Bitcoins for nearly six hundred million dollars US. Wow. The oh. biggest purchase in over two years. That brings wow. the company's total holdings to. 174,540 bitcoins. So the the crazy thing is is the firm actually announced that they might have potential plans to raise an extra 750 million by selling more shares in the common stock to buy more bitcoin. So they they're basically turning into a reverse Bitcoin ETF through the through the company's price. Aren't they? Just... Yeah, Trace was Trace actually interviewed Michael a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and he talked about how uh, MicroStrategy is essentially a leveraged ETF. But you know what I would really like to know is what that leverage proportionality actually is. Oh, yeah. you know, compared to you know how much debt to 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 Bitcoin they have as a ratio. Mm. You know, good on him. He's going hard, Michael. He's a very Nice advocate to have for um for Bitcoin, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. 
institutional crypto trading platform Talos taps into Uniswap's liquidity. So the crypto trading platform Talos is set to offer its clients access to Uniswap. This is really interesting, marking its first in entry into the source, sourcing liquidity from the DeFi exchange. This move also signifies the first enterprise API integration for Uniswap's labs, uh, enabling more comprehensive liquidity access for institutional investors on Talos. Next up, US bankruptcy court has given FTX debtors the green light to start selling some of its trust assets. I didn't know that uh, FTX held units in the Grayscale Trust and, and the Bitwise shares, but apparently um, they have, I think, about 22.3 million units worth about $600 million in the Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust and about $87 million worth in the Ethereum Trust. Mm. So this is a bit of a free hit for creditors. Um, I know that the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is now trading at a premium. You know, obviously it was better off than it was six months ago. Yeah, they'd Um, be happy now. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, you know, all boats rise. And uh, fortunately, I think that these assets that were on the FTX balance sheet are now going to increase in value and hopefully pay back all the creditors. Thoughts on that one, Igor? Yeah, I think think this is a this is a win for for the FTX creditors. Uh, mm. If you can if you can wait the longest period of time before pulling that out, then it's it's really going to work for you, especially with the momentum of the ETF. But it's unfortunate that what will happen is they will pull this cash out and it will sit in cash until they work out the rest of the uh, the rest of the claims. So while you have this this incredible vehicle that might give you total exposure and might help you actually recover more funds, it's going to sit in cash. And uh, and it might take another ten months, a year, fifteen months mm. to actually pay that out to creditors. So it could be bittersweet, unfortunately. It's such a hard thing for the liquidators um, to figure out. You know, how much do we speculate on the asset class, and how much do we protect? You know, creditor value, and it's, yeah. it must be a tough decision. I don't, I don't envy them. It's 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 just the time because if you if you could take that cash out and immediately distribute that to the creditors, then at least they get to make their own choice. But if you take that cash out and then you wait a year to give it back to them, mm. then even if they wanted crypto exposure, they will have to buy in at a completely different price, completely different market. So it's really a fact-finding game at, at that stage. I mean, FTX is looking pretty good on its on its creditors. The last rumors that I heard that they'll get 70 to 80% back, which yeah, is pretty fantastic. Yeah, that's what we're hearing, which is amazing. <laughs> It is. Absolutely. It is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're certainly paying for it. I think the, the tally was uh, $200 million for the, for the liquidator uh, in fees, which is... Yeah. Which is a, last, the last we heard, they were charging 1.5 1. Million, 1. 5 million a week. Was it a week, was it? Yeah. Something astronomical anyway. Like that. It was huge. Wild. All right. What else is up next, Igor? Right. So up next, very interestingly, the SEC opens public comments on Franklin Templeton and Hashtag Spot Bitcoin ETFs. Now, historically, they've, they've never done this before, but the SEC is inviting public commentary on pending ETF applications from Franklin Templeton and Hashtags. It's unexpectedly early request coming in two weeks after the SEC extension to the decision deadline suggests that this might be a precursor to making sure that everybody can get launched all at the same time. Right. And there is a finite date here on the 10th of January is when the ARC ETF is yeah. the, it's the final approval for the ARC ETF. Now the SEC 
can't be in a position where they approve some and don't approve others. The others, yeah. And they don't want to be sued for anti-competitive behaviour. So mm-hmm. what they'll end up doing probably is approving all 12 at the same time, which will be incredible. Well, we're all anticipating and everyone's waiting on the edge of their seat for that one. <laughs> All right, what have we got? Last up here, Coinbase might be forced to share people's Bitcoin trading data with the CFTC. It has been reported that they alerted an unspecified number of its users that their account information may be shared with the CFTC following a subpoena linked to another crypto exchange, which was Bybit. The nature of the data involved has not been disclosed, nor how it relates to Bybit. Some Coinbase users who have not used Bybit claim that they were also targeted. So not sure what's going on with this one, but Coinbase plans to engage with the CFTC to to limit the um, damage and the data shared here. Yeah, just it really depends. Some some people in Coinbase might be free trading and everyone expects Coinbase as a good actor and as a regulated business at any point in time to share your your information and your trading history for for whatever for tax purposes or just for KYC AML. Um, Bybit might not have the same regulations. Therefore, if people wanted to skirt away from that, wanted to uh, to to possibly obfuscate or hide some of their trades, then they might use that. So that that, that might be the tie-in. But but we'll see when the uh, when the news and the information comes out. Well, I think that's all our news stories for today. Um, we really appreciate you joining us on the podcast and getting your reflections on the market. Anything else that you want to share, Igor? Before we wind up, this has been this has been really great. Uh, we as a we as a business we write research on a monthly basis. We publish that research uh, so that anybody can read it. Uh, we write a weekly newsletter that anybody can sign up to. Um, most of what we do in the space is, is education based. So we spend a lot of time talking to. Uh, our families talking to our investors talking to prospective investors that really have never had an allocation or been a little bit too nervous to to get into this market around what it what it really is so we want to do that as much as possible we want to continue that if at any point in time uh, you want to get in touch we're always available on twitter or uh, or, or linkedin fantastic igor we'll get some of those links to your research and your newsletter we'll put it in the show notes ladies and gents so you can um, subscribe to that and have a look and yeah thanks again igor appreciate your time that sounds like an excellent idea. So that is it, folks, the end of this week's show. Thanks for listening in. If you're looking to DCA into this crypto market, then please look at the Bamboo app. And there's a code, Curious, for $10 of free Bitcoin to get you started. There's a link in the show notes below. Please follow us on social media via the Instagram page or join us in our Facebook group. Hit the subscribe button where you're listening to the podcast now. Please tell your mates about the podcast. If you've got anyone who is interested in crypto, we'd love the support and we'll speak to you again next week bye for now bye guys you have been listening to an equity mates media production in the spirit of reconciliation equity mates media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and their connections to land sea and community we pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples today this podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. 
Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.